I think the why boils down to my purpose in life is to wake people up so we can all experience less suffering. Hey everyone, welcome back to University. I'm Anne-Marie Chiresso, your host and coach. And on today's show, we have a little bit of a turn of the tables. This week, we're interviewing me. My executive producer, Tyler Green, sits down with me to talk about a whole bunch of things. My personal why, leadership as influence, self-awareness, and my family, among a lot of other things. I had a ton of fun being interviewed by Tyler, and I'm really excited for you to get to know me, what I'm up to, and why I'm choosing to pause the podcast right now. Let's pop into the conversation as Tyler starts by going back to my childhood. I wanted you to describe for us Anne-Marie at age 10. Who is that little girl? That's so funny you asked that. I just finished coaching a client and I said, literally, like about four minutes ago, I remember myself at 10 years old. I used to sit in the mirror at my parents' house. They had this big mirror and it was very 70s. It had like this marbling pattern on it. It's very retro now. It's coming back. And I used to sit in the mirror and I would poke myself in the face and I would ask myself the question like, what are you doing here? What is your purpose in life? And it was really funny. This client of mine's like, what? It, you know, he's, <laughs> he's a young man. He's like early 20s. And he's like, what? You were asking yourself that at 10? So at 10, I was curious and I was a seeker and I was asking big questions about the meaning of life. And I was a little bit of a rebel against tradition. Like I grew up in a Catholic family and we were taught and trained to foul the guidelines, right? Foul the rules. And I was always like, well, that seems like a silly rule. Why would we foul that? So I was always in the inquiry, asking the questions, pushing against the systems that were put in place. Poking away at it. Poking away at it. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it, it, it frustrated people around me. Okay. So now we fast forward to today. And the question is, who is Anne-Marie now? <laughs> Um, it's a good question. Well, there's a lot of that 10 year old still in me. So there's always the one seeking, asking questions, looking out of the box, trying to figure it all out. But also there's today, there's a, there's a deep sense of peace and groundedness. And there's a settling in to the being, just the beingness of being this thing called Anne-Marie on the planet. Yeah. And it's my hope uh, that at the end of this conversation, listeners will have a greater understanding of how we got from Anne-Marie at 10 poking at her face to the okay. same Anne-Marie, but a little more peaceful, right? Okay. So now you spend most of your days working with and coaching young people who are making, in many cases, a big difference in the world. So the curiosity that I have is, why have you chosen to focus on that group? I, I don't know that I have 
the magic answer to that. The greatest lesson I've learned over the past 30 years, let's say, is follow that inner voice inside you. Just trust it and follow it. It may not always make sense. You may not understand it, but when you trust it and follow it, good things happen. And there's just been that voice inside me that has brought me to working with younger people. Mm-hmm. And it's just the right place for me to be. It's not the only place for me to be, but it feels, it feels right and it feels aligned. And I, I can go in there and make up the answer, <laughs> right? which I like to do. That's a fun yes. game to play. Like, well, it's because of these 10 things. And one of the things I typically say when people ask me that question is, well, I want to give young people the tools so they can get a better start in life and be more aligned and have these tools to set themselves up for success, yada, yada, yada. And, that, and there's truth in that. But I think if we look at it more deeply and organically and naturally, it's just like, this is where it's fun for me to play with. Uh, this, is where, uh, this is where I have fun. I have a lot of questions about intuition and we're going to get to that and inner voice because mine is super loud and uh, I think it'll be good to talk about that. But I'm going to push you a little farther on this one because I'm curious about your personal why or your mission or your philosophy or whatever you want to say in that space. And I would actually say like, I think it's connected to young people a little bit. I've heard you talk about, you know, talk about that. So I'm curious, you know, what's your, what's your why? I think the why boils down to my purpose in life is to wake people up so we can all experience less suffering. And I think the story I make up around that is the more awake we are earlier in life, Mm -hmm. the less suffering we will all experience. And the less suffering each of us individually experience, the less suffering there is collectively and on the planet. So I would like to contribute to less suffering on the planet and more awakening. And the story I make up is the sooner we get, you know, answers to some of these big questions or the sooner we wake up, the less suffering will each individual experience. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. I think a lot about, I mean, it came to meditation, which we'll also talk about a little bit later, much, much later in life. And I often wonder what would have occurred in my life had it came to me when I was 19. Yeah. Like I grew up in a family where like I'm sort of the black sheep of the family. People didn't really understand me and my nuclear family and that's okay. But I didn't get much pushback. My parents were sort of like, well, do what you do. You know, we may think you're weird or odd or we don't understand it or maybe we don't think that's such a good idea. And you know, there might have been some advice in there every now and then, but there wasn't a lot of resistance. I just got to show up and do what I wanted to do. And there was a lot, there's a lot of gifts in my freedom to be able to do the things I wanted to do when I wanted to do them. Um, I think about my college experience and I took a less traditional path than sort of my friends and the culture. My dad, I remember sort of being like, well, not so sure that's such a great idea. Everyone else is doing this thing over there. And I was like, yeah, 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 they are, but I want to do this thing over here. And he's like, I don't think that's such a good idea. And I said, okay, great, thanks. And I'm doing it anyway. And there wasn't a lot of like, well, you can't and you should do it this way. There was, 
he was just like, all right, I don't think I agree with it, but all right, you're going to do it. And so there was some freedom in that. And from that freedom, I got, I got my lessons, my own lessons. Whereas I think nowadays, young people are very oppressed by their parents' agenda for what life should be looking like for them. There's a definitely like a path. You know, it looks like this, 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 and this. So this person I'm coaching, I just finished coaching before our call right now. He's out of college two years, you know, got a good job, making decent money. And he's like in these inquiries, like, what is the purpose and meaning of life? And what am I doing here? And he's like, this, this is really awkward and uncomfortable. Like, I, I thought I did all that. I went to school. I graduated college. I got my job. Why am I asking these questions right now? And I said, the beauty is you should have been asking these questions 10 years ago, but you didn't have any space because, mm. you know, you've been in school and all of your energy was on study and classes and homework and this construct that we've created for our kids. Yeah. Um, it doesn't allow you the space and the freedom to figure out who you really are. And so the sooner we get to figure that out in ourselves, the freer we become. So you have two main teachings, self-awareness and leadership. I want to dig into both of them. Let's start with leadership. Mm-hmm. What is your definition of leadership? I think leadership is, it's really, it's not my definition. It's a definition that I've inherited from my mentors. And the one that most resonates with me is taking responsibility for your influence. So I used to think about leadership as like the president of the United States or this big corporation or anything with this big title. What I've come to realize is that we're each individually leaders in our lives. We each play a a really significant role in leading, whether it's leading one other person in our life or a hundred million people, how we lead really matters and taking responsibility for that influence is really all that matters. And you're also a parent and a step parent of a number of young people. I am also a parent of a young 16 month old now infant. I sort of want parenting advice. Gift giving is my love language. So (laughs) sort of asking for parenting advice, but in the guise of how does leadership show up for you in parenting? And then do you think that that actually makes you a better coach? Mm. Yes, I do. I think it makes me a better coach because my kids don't let me get away with any bullshit, right? <laughs> Neither does mine. Your 16-month-old <laughs> definitely doesn't. <laughs> That's what they're here to do. They're here to wake us up and call us out. And I think that my relationship to my children has taught me how to unravel myself even more deeply and really take responsibility. And my kids are constantly waking me up. And as long as I remain open to their feedback, which sometimes I don't always like their feedback, but as long as I remain open, I continually get to learn and grow. And then I model for them who they get to be in the world because I take responsibility for how I'm showing up in their lives. Mm. And I see that. I see that coming back. Like, you know, you know better than anyone. You, you know, 
put your hands on your head and jump up and down and you know, your son's going to mimic you. Yeah. He's, he's going to think, so they do what we do, not what we say. Mm. Ooh, I just got chills. Not sure why. I'm sure I'll figure that out in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, before we move on to self-awareness, I have a, an inquiry about how you're using your influence in the world now. I think in this complicated, well, complicated is barely scratching the surface um, uh, we live in right now. Yeah, yeah the current circumstances of yeah. this crazy world. So I think about it on a micro level to a macro level. First is I always look at what's going on over here in me, what's here for me to learn. How can I grow in this now moment based on what's occurring? So I believe that everything that's happening in the world right now is, is here for a personal and a collective awakening. And the only way for the collective to wake up, in my opinion, is for each of us to individually take responsibility for waking ourselves up. So since 2020 hit and, you know, there's been COVID and racism and inequality and, you know, the number of things that are occurring that sort of like are waking us up. That's my finger snapping over here. I pause and I just look at, okay, what's, what's here for me first? How am I reacting to this? How am I being with this? And I think for COVID, for instance, it woke me up to how I continue to abuse the planet in macro and micro ways for my own convenience. So I get to go over there and look and take responsibility for like, well, what am I going to do about that? Am I willing to shift my behavior and my patterns over here first in my own little orbit? And then once I've done that and I've gotten good at it, for lack of a better word, mastery, I guess, then am I willing to stand for the larger orbit, like the people right connected to me, my family, my friends. And then once I get that mastery over that, then go even bigger. So I keep, I make sure that the impact first lands here in me, really lands. And that so such that I'm in integrity, that what I say and what I do are aligned and that they match the message I'm sending out into the world. So that's first and foremost. And that takes, like COVID has taught me, those things take a while to change habits and patterns Mm. that are deeply ingrained. Then I go out again to that like next level and keep going to the next level until it ripples out and it has impact on the big wide world around me. And so the same goes for racism. You know, as I begin to wake up to my white privilege and how I've been colluding with a hundred year old decades, decades and centuries of um, the patriarchy and inequity and racism and all of that. And every day I'm waking up more and more to that. All of this to me is the same. It, It boils down to over here first, go deep inside here first, see how it's living in you and then go out into the world and then let go whatever you can't control because there's so much I can't control. I can't mm. control so many people and things and just kind of love up on whatever's going on out there and continue to do my part. I hope that answers you. I kind of went way off on a tangent. No, it's it's beautiful. And it strikes me that a lot of people, myself included, look outside first 
you know, RuPaul has this great quote. Wouldn't be an interview with me without a RuPaul quote somewhere. <laughs> you know, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? Yeah. And I think, you know, that it's everywhere. You go on Instagram for five seconds and there's some sort of message about loving yourself and self-awareness, and, and which we're going to get to in a moment. Um, but yeah, it just strikes me that we skip ahead and that creates and has created and continues to create a ton of suffering in the world. I wonder if you have a theory about, and maybe this is a great bridge to self-awareness, your other main teaching, like why we do that? Why do we skip past ourselves so easily? Yeah, I know exactly why we do it because facing yourself is hard. I mean, if you face yourself and you just put attention over here on you, by the way, imagine if every human being did that. If every human being did that, nobody would have to look outwards, mm. right? So if I just over here, look, look at me, look at me, look at me. There's decades of stuff to be cleaned up, dealt with, confronted. And like, I don't need to spend a moment of time out there in the world. But the reason we go out there is the reason we create drama out in the world is to distract ourselves from facing ourselves. It's like a beautiful move so that we don't actually have to look in the mirror and face the quote unquote ugliness inside our own selves. And it's a beautiful avoidance strategy. It makes perfect sense to me. What's your definition of self-awareness? <sighs> My kids yell at me when I do this. <laughs> when you when do I, what? When I'm about, well, what I'm about to do, define oh. the word with the words in it. They're like, you can't use the definition. <laughs> self-awareness is waking up to one's own self. I don't know how not to use self and self-awareness. I'm looking. You have any ideas there, Tyler? Waking up to your individual experience mm. and cultivating deep, deep awareness about your way of being in the world and on the planet. And I think that I'm going to toss out there that I think meditation is one of the ways that we create more space for ourselves to do that. Meditation, I think, is, I understand it to be kind of a bedrock practice of your life, your way of accessing your teachings. And so I want to borrow a question from our, one of our favorite podcasters, Dan Harris. He starts every episode almost with this question. When and where did you start meditating? Well, if you really knew me, I think... I started meditating very early on in life and I didn't know it was meditation, but I've, I've formally started my practice in my early twenties, which maybe is the answer to your earlier question. Why working with young adults? That's when I started my journey to waking up. So in mm -hmm. a yoga class in my early twenties, and I literally was doing one of these, like, looking around like, what, what the hell is everyone doing? She's holding her fingers in a position and making a face for those who are listening. <laughs> I'm holding, I have my She's fingers owning. in a mudra. Yeah. <laughs> I have my fingers in a mudra. And, you know, in meditation, everyone closes their eyes, but I would always have one eye open looking over my shoulder like, what the hell is everyone doing in there? Right. And so that was, that was my early, early meditation practice was trying to figure out what the hell everyone was doing. Mm. What's going on inside there that people, how are they doing this and what, and I'm doing it wrong 
clearly. Mm. And am I right in saying that meditation creates uh, the ability to be more self-aware? Is that part of the, I don't know, is there an intention of meditation, but like... I think there are so many intentions of meditation in my experience. For me, personally, I like to speak my own personal experience. And I think you probably say it's true for you. My meditation practice serves to bring deeper and deeper awareness to who I am and how I'm being in the world. So I get to know myself much more quickly and much more deeply through my meditation practice. Mm -hmm. And I also get like smarter and more creative and all sorts of like the reason you and I are sitting here right now is because of a meditation. Because in my meditation, the word podcast kept rising up beneath the noise in my head. And I was like, all right, all right, all right, I'll listen already. I'll, I'll do a podcast, whatever that means. Mm. And so I'm, I have a podcast because of that. Mm. I'm imagining the listener who sort of like maybe doesn't have a meditation practice or is just starting one. What does that look like for you? What does your practice look like now? Well, my meditation practice right now is a 20 to a 30 minute practice in the morning upon waking. And occasionally I'll dip into practice throughout the day. It'll be like maybe a five minute tune up. But I sort of like to think I'm always meditating, but it just depends on how you define it because meditation can be a lot of different things. But in my like, cross my legs, close my eyes, sit in stillness, practice, the traditional practice, it's a minimum of 20 minutes a day in the mornings upon waking. Mm -hmm. But I think for a beginner, I remember when I first really devoted myself to building my practice, I think I started with five minutes a day, just sitting for five minutes a day. Yeah. But even if you do one or two minutes a day, just try it. Yeah, it's so interesting because I, you know, the whole 10 minutes a day, the studies and the seven minutes a day of loving kindness, changing your brain, you know, and there was a period of, I don't know, a month. I only started doing 10 minutes in the morning, like this week again. <laughs> and after two days, like you can already feel, it's like, I don't know how to say it. And I've meditated for like seven years. So that probably helped. But yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying to the person listening right now, like, do it for two minutes, do it for five, build up. It's really magical. <laughs> I don't know how to. And it's particularly hard for young people yeah. to understand the benefits because right. they're filled with so much noise. They don't understand. And the idea of sitting still and quiet like is painful. Yeah. And I, what I want to say to that audience is it's fundamental. It's fundamental that you get into a meditation practice because of all the noise that exists out in the world. Hey there. You know, we're all aware that these are unprecedented times. And with that inevitably comes a lot of fear, a lot of stress, and a lot of anxiety. And while these are challenging times, these are also times for cultivating resilience, personal growth and development, 
all valuable skills for you as the next generation of leaders. So I'd like to help you learn to thrive this year while navigating these challenges. This August, I'm offering my Drop the Drama workshops online for free to college students. My Drop the Drama program is designed to help you learn to take responsibility and take control when life feels out of control. You'll learn how to cultivate self-awareness, a fundamental skill of great leaders. You'll learn to be self-empowered and develop lifelong skills to navigate whatever challenges arise in the moment. So you're free to succeed. Hop over to annemariecheresso.me and find a date in August to drop into my free online workshop and set yourself up to thrive this year. Or text I am free to 474747 to get your free meditation and to learn more. Welcome back to university. You're listening to my producer, Tyler Green, interview me, Anne-Marie. We've been talking about my origins, leadership, self-awareness, and how it's essential to form a meditation habit, or at least why I think it's essential to form a meditation habit. Let's pop back into the conversation as we dig into the mind and how it's hardwired for fear. When you interviewed your mentor, Jim Dethmer, he said something like, the mind is not wired for peace. The mind is wired for survival, which is highly relatable uh-huh. to me. And by extension, I imagine our listener. Can you talk about that? How, how the mind naturally looks out for threats and, and how that relates to meditation? So we're hardwired for survival. That's how we exist as a species. The mind is always looking for danger. So it's either, you know, back in the days of the caveman, it's like, where's the saber-toothed tiger? I got to protect oneself and those I care about from the saber-toothed tiger. So I'm walking around the plains, sort of in a constricted state. Imagine like, I'm looking for this. And I'm almost guaranteed to find it eventually. So the brain has been hardwired to look for and find threat. So in that construct, we're always, our nervous system is always under some kind of stress and the heart rate is impacted by that. You know, imagine, think about stress, looking around, looking around, your fists are sort of tight, your body's constricted, your blood flow slows down. We live in a pretty safe world right now. I mean, obviously, there's lots of craziness going out in the world. But generally speaking, we're not walking around the planet looking for a saber-toothed tiger in every given moment. Right. But our mind doesn't understand that. Our mind still lives in that state. So we are conditioned to look for threat. And what we do is we take the past and we store up all the memories of the times from which We've had a negative experience or we've been threatened. So we store those up so we can use that as data for later. And then we project out into the future all the possible things that might go wrong so we can plan for and protect against it. And so we're in a constant state of threat. We're always worried. We're always stressed. We've got some anxiety. And depending on your personality type, you're either in high levels or low levels of that. 
So when you practice meditation, you're building awareness such that you can choose how stressed or how much threat is actually going to run you. So I can pretty much wake up now throughout the day and go, yeah, I'm, I actually have nothing to be stressed. This is ironic because this client I just coached is experiencing just that now. He's I don't know, 24 years old or something like that. And he's like, I'm always worried. I'm always stressed. I'm always worried. And I said, yes, you have been conditioned to live in this constant state of threat. So we're not actually living in the moment, in this now moment. We're living in the past. We're living in the future, looking for something to threaten us. Yeah. There's another concept in meditation that I feel like is just like, is the hardest part for me, which is acceptance and noticing without judgment. That manifests in a lot of different types of meditation and, and whatever, but it's like the hard shit like sends us spiraling. And so we're no longer present. We're in the future. We're in the past. For me, it's anxiety. So it's in the future a lot. Lots of FOMO. Lots of like, oh my God, this is not enough for me. I am not enough, right? Can you talk about that concept, that idea of, of noticing without judgment and why it's so important? So what I would have said if I would have wrapped up the last part of my piece about meditation and threat and all that is meditations about looking closely and seeing clearly. So when you're talking about this idea of acceptance, it's about looking closely at what's occurring, whatever's occurring, and then seeing clearly and accepting what is without judging it as right, wrong, good, bad. It just is. So this idea of acceptance is a really hard one for people to get. Like, let's say, for instance, um, you're a parent. I'm a parent. Well, your, your child's too young, but my children aren't. They lie. One of your kids lies to you or your friend lies to you or a coworker lies to you. So we can quickly go into threat. They lied. And then from threat, we're going to start defending and protecting ourselves, right? That's going to be our natural instinct because we see that lie as a threat to our ego's survival. And then we're going to get into some drama. We're going to, you know, start blaming. We're going to start, you know, becoming at the effect of this person lying and we're going to create some drama with them. When we're in a place of acceptance, we go, huh, I notice a lie is occurring. That's interesting. I wonder what that's all about. I wonder. So I, rather than get into a place of threat, we get into a place of curiosity and wonder and we start to look at it like, like a child looking at all sides of a, a new toy. So it doesn't mean I like the lie, it's okay to lie, let's keep lying. It doesn't mean accepting the act or the behavior. Rather, it means accepting what's occurred, getting curious about how is that here for me? Does that make sense? Total sense. I'm just thinking about interpersonally, like if my husband and I get into an argument and he yells at me, right? So immediately I get defensive and I create all these stories about how, you know, da, 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 da. But then if you really pause and think about that, 
you start to poke through it a little bit more. It's like, what is anger? What is anger, first of all? Usually it's a protection of feeling some sense of shame or embarrassment, and it's a way to cope with that, right? So then you're actually allowed to, go ahead. Well, I want to interrupt you for a minute. So anger is an energy. That's it. Yeah. It's a necessary energy. So Mm -hmm. we can either use anger to stop something. Anger Mm -hmm. is the energy of stopping. So we either use anger from trust, Mm -hmm. like something needs to stop, Mm -hmm. or we use anger from fear, like I need to control, I'm being threatened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. In either, no, it's okay. I mean, I think I I hear that. And in either example, though, what it does is it allows, it allows me to see into his world and, Uh, you know, I can psychoanalyze why and all that, but it just, you just know that it's, maybe it's not, maybe it's like a boundary that he's establishing, or maybe he's just trying to protect himself, you know? Yeah. But for me, that's just an example that sort of came up. But here's the trick, Tyler. So meditation or mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So when our significant others are yelling at us because they're angry. We get to use our tools of self-awareness to connect with the intelligence that lives within us. So we, you know, our head, our heart, and our gut, we get to check in with ourselves and go, huh, what's going on over there? So I'm going to become detached from the experience. If someone's yelling at me, our natural response is going to be to defend. Defensiveness, yeah. Because we then get into a place of threat. But we also have the ability, if we have a deep enough practice, to stay in the land of trust and to not be threatened and go, oh, what? Like, I'm just accepting they're angry. And now when I'm in that place of acceptance, I'm more available. Is this anger coming from threat or trust? If it's coming from threat, I can pretty much just disengage from it. It's going to run its course. If it's coming from trust, if it's, if it's really an energy of like, there's a boundary here and I need to listen, then if I can use my meditation practice to build that self-awareness such that I'm available, then I change the game completely. Mm-hmm. And then what happens just by my being in a non-triggered, non-reactive state, I create space for that person who's coming at me, that anger will just naturally run its course without me doing anything yeah that is such a powerful idea and i have to say like it's taken me almost a decade of therapy to understand that and again going back to the beginning of our conversation wow do i ever wish i had that when i was 13 15 19 the idea is like you cannot change cannot change first of all like anything outside of you so it's useless so if you have the reserves in you to pause, breathe, and see what's actually happening, and it doesn't have to be like all like, you know, meditation cushion, like it's just, it happens. I don't know how to explain it other than yeah. that space does expand and you're well, able to do that. It's like anything else that you practice. If you play an instrument, you play a sport, yeah. anything you practice, you know, let's be talk to Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours of deep practice. If you practice meditation, you practice building your resilience muscle. It occurs in the brain. You actually create more space. And then when you get in the game, when there's a triggered moment in relationship or out in the world, you're conditioned to give some space between your response and your reactivity. And that's what we're looking for here. So in that space, 
rises the innate intelligence that lives within us. Mm -hmm. And if we're not aware, if we're not in a practice of being aware of the difference between accessing our deep intelligence or reacting from a place of fear or threat, then we're going to lead a really disempowered life. All right. I want to get to intuition now. Um, The inner voice uh, has come up a lot. It comes up in almost every conversation that I have with you. Um, So I want you to start by just telling us a little bit about more about your relationship to your own intuition. I think like a lot of people hear the inner voice and ignore it because it's painful or, or maybe even like it's too good to be true. So I just want to start with, with your relationship to that. So my, I'm closing my eyes and sort of accessing my inner voice. I have a very intimate relationship with my inner voice and it goes way back beyond that 10 year old. So even before that 10 year old, I can hear myself think right now, it's the voice. The voice is saying, well, you were essentially an only child because your siblings were all much older and your parents were working. So you spend a lot of time alone. And so I had a lot of time to be in conversation with that inner voice. And there wasn't a lot interfering with it because there was no such thing as technology when I was a kid. So I just had tons of time to cultivate a relationship with that voice. And from a very early age, I just trusted that voice. There was no question. I just, the voice spoke and I followed and then I liked the results. So I just kept doing it over and over and over again. So I developed a deep, deep, deep trust in that voice from a very early age. And then the older I got, the more I would resist the voice. And then I would get results that I didn't necessarily love So then I go back to the voice again. So I have sort of this hot and cold relationship with the voice. But I mean, I just had an example today, in fact, where there was um, a person in my orbit, in my world that I was tangentially working with. And my voice was saying, something's not right over there with that human Something's just not right. There's that one's not to be trusted. There, and I, you know, there, there wasn't much more than that. There was just a, like a, a voice inside me saying there was a no, but I couldn't quite figure it out. And it became obvious to me today why that was. And uh, I, once again, I just affirmed that relationship I have with my intuition or my inner mm-hmm. voice. I know, I unequivocally know that we all have that voice every human I talk to, coach, work with, I'm in relationship to, shares with me their inner voice. And the greatest thing we could do is learn to discern the difference between the voice of self and the voice of ego. Okay. So this is my biggest question for you, actually. (laughs) So a lot of people have real chatty inner voices. Okay. Uh Like, and by a lot of people, I mean me. So I, you know, (laughs) I get this idea and I'm comforted by the fact that it works for someone. And there have been moments where I started my own business, where I decided to have a baby, where I decided to marry my husband. Like, clearly I was paying attention to my inner voice, but particularly during the time of pandemic, There's a lot of space to think 
you know, I'm an Enneagram 4, I'm an INFJ, I'm in my head a lot. So my question is, how do you know <laughs> that what your mind is telling you is truly right or the thing to go with? Yeah, I like my answer. The voice never comes from my head. Mm. Ever, never, not once does it ever come from my head. It's more like a bubbling up from my solar plexus that sort of rises up and it's like a bubble or a cloud. It's just sort of like, it's like a groundhog. It peeks its head out and that goes back in. And so it doesn't ever occur like down and in. It's always up and out. Mm. I know that sounds really obtuse, but I think our listeners can relate and I think you can probably relate too. And this, I'm going to go back to like pounding this message around meditation. This is why meditation is so important, particularly for you as an Enneagram four. And if you're an Enneagram six, you, you have to have a meditation practice or you will just drown in your anxiety. But the big idea here is when we pause, take space to let all of the mind chatter dissolve, then we clear way for the intuition and the knowing and the intelligence of the self to rise up. So it's a rising up and coming out. It's not a you know download. Sometimes it shows up for me after the rising up of like podcast. Then there's a download of like to-do list kind of a thing, but it's always starts right here. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think um, it would be useful to hear you talk about and maybe a different than the podcast, like a moment where that voice rose up for you. Where were you? What, um, what did it feel like? Put us in your shoes in, in, in a moment like that. One of them that comes to mind recently. So I said earlier in the podcast, my meditation led me to doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. And recently my voice has been saying, we need to pause the podcast. We need to pause the podcast. The podcast needs to pause. And I've been ignoring that voice because of my attachment to my head's attachment, that the investment, how much time, all the reasons why I should do the podcast. So all of that has been noisier than this inner voice. So as you and I both know, this is our last episode that we're recording as of right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying never again, but this is definitely a pausing place. And once I listened to that voice, my whole body just relaxed and everything sort of fell into place. And that, that's a great example of, you know, sort of listening to the intuition guide mm -hmm. versus the head guide. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So it's sort of like, I mean, for me, it shows up in like just a kind of a calming here, like like yeah. around my heart, actually, which is yeah. interesting because I don't know enough about the Enneagram right now in this moment to, to say this, but some of my confusion around which type was I was like six, which is head, right? And four is more heart. And I know that I'm a four. It feels most true to me. And there's this like six thing that happens a lot due to anxiety, I think. And so... But I get that when you say, I don't know exactly what you said now, but something about I'm holding my, I'm putting my hand on my heart, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a well, felt I, sense. It's a felt sense. Yeah. 
I hadn't thought about it that way before. So I'm, I'm, I'm stuttering because it's just like, whoa, okay. Something that I didn't understand for a really long time <laughs> makes more sense to me now. That yeah, feels, I love that. That feels really exciting. Okay, so as we land this plane together, I want you to talk a little bit about your hopes, your dreams, and your, your plans for yourself. But I think as it is germane to this conversation, your business, someone's listening to this right now and they've been inspired. Where is your business going and why should they spend time with you? I don't know where my business is going, which is what makes it fun. And I don't pretend to know. I like to be in the surprise of it. And, you know, it's like every day I'm opening a present and something new is is opening up through me and through those that I get to work with. And the beauty of it is that I feel very unattached to where it's all going. My hope, my desire is that I get to play in the sandbox of awareness and supporting the awakening of the next generation of leaders such that our planet is sort of seeded with a whole new culture of evolved, sort Mm. of awake, awoken, awakened people. Um, I believe, I believe in us, like as a humanity, I believe in us. And I believe that the challenges that we're facing are not insurmountable. But if we continue to distract ourselves with the drama that we create in our culture, it'll be that much harder to solve the challenges that we're currently facing. So my hope is to contribute to all the good that I think can come from one another when we're fully awake. And if I'm sort of wanting to work with you, what do you think is sort of the reason for that? After listening to this, someone should have like a, an answer to that probably. <laughs> Just well, curious. If you want to be awake and aware and you want to live deeply and you want to make impact in the world Mm -hmm. and you want to have influence and you want to have deep relationships and you want to suffer less and find more joy if you want to spend more time on the planet you know doing good and having fun then that would be a reason to come over here and play sounds good to me yeah yeah. Um, lastly, is there anything that I didn't ask you um, or anything that's in the air that you want to say as we fully mm. land our wheels to the ground? <laughs> we keep using the airline metaphor like for some reason. <laughs> no one can fly anymore. <laughs> right. I miss it. Oh, yeah. Um, like my wish for you all listening in for myself for you, Tyler, is that we just experience as much joy as possible Mm. and that I know that that's possible. My experience, my, my personal experience is that joy is possible. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. That Was Me by way of my executive producer, Tyler Green. You can find out more about me and my work 
on Instagram at AnneMarieTeresso or at my website, AnneMarieTeresso.me. I've also included relevant social media handles in the show notes, so go take a peek there. And thank you, Tyler, for your amazing interview skills. I have loved working with you. So I wanted to talk a little bit about this great podcast pause. As you've heard revealed in the episode, I'm taking a short break with this thing we call a podcast. I'm wondering what it's like when you feel like you need a pause in your life. I've been toying with this idea and learning to listen to myself through my meditation practice. And as you heard in the interview itself, I was noticing, you know, I first came to doing this podcast because in my meditation a little over a year ago, my meditation was pulling me towards doing a podcast. And then recently over the past few months, my meditation practice is pulling me to taking a pause from the podcast. And to be honest, I was a little scared, but rather than resist my knowing and this intuition that's inside me, I am trusting it and I'm going with it. So I'm wondering what happens in you? Do you listen to yourself? Do you listen to the voices inside or do you ignore and deny them? It's a lot about what we're talking about here. So I'm trusting this. I hope you trust it too. I hope you continue to share prior episodes with friends and go back and re-listen. We've produced, I think, close to 75 episodes in a little bit over a year's time. We've had tons of fun. I have great appreciation for all of our guests who shared themselves so honestly and vulnerably on the podcast. I will continue to cherish those conversations and share those conversations And I look forward to seeing what's next. So stay in touch over on Instagram and keep on breathing. So I guess that's all I have for now. May breathe easily. Take it one moment at a time and keep doing the thing you love. And I'll see you soon. University's executive producer is Tyler Green of thestoryproducer.com. This podcast is also produced and edited by Katie Clarkson. The university team also includes Marsha Craig, Ashwath Narayanan from Culture Media, Adam Harris, and Kim Redding. The university is a production of Bring It Home, founded by Anne Marie Chiresso. You can find out more at A N N M A R I E C H E R E S O dot me or follow us at Anne Marie Chiresso on Instagram. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast app and write us a review. It really does help us have more of an impact in the world. Thanks so much for listening in, and I look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs>